So this week we are talking uh, about the story in Elijah where he raises a boy to life. That's, can, that's the story we're going to be looking at. Um, and that's the passage that we're going to be looking at. So if you want to follow uh, that passage in your phones or tablets uh, or even on the paper Bibles, which some people still, I believe, have, uh, that is fine to do that. So you can, uh, you can find that passage if you want to do that now. Um, this whole series that we're doing is on uh, ordinary people living extraordinarily lives, living amazing, incredible lives. The reason why that is the, the title is because Elijah was a pretty ordinary guy. But you wouldn't say that if you looked at his life, would you? You'd look at the life of Elijah and some of the other prophets in the Old Testament and you go, well, there was any, they're anything but ordinary. But they were. They were ordinary guys. Last week we heard from John March who spoke that Elijah came from Tishba. No one knows where that is. He was an ordinary guy. No one really knew anything about him. He just appeared on the scene. He's an ordinary dude, and then he's living an extraordinarily life, an amazing life, and that's what makes him look like an extraordinary man. So we want to be people at G2 who are living extraordinary lives. But the fact is we're normal, aren't we? We're normal people. We're ordinary people living normal lives in a sense, but we're following an extraordinary God. And one of the things John drew out last week was that there was no blueprint for Elijah's life. He followed out of obedience. He did what he sensed God was saying he should say or do. And then he did that. And then he didn't really often know what the next step was. Uh, And sometimes it was a really strange thing that he needed to go and do. And he did it anyway, out of obedience. So obedience is relevant. It's a theme that we'll come back to a lot today. Sometimes we don't know the big picture for what God is asking us to do. We just sense what's next. And actually, as I was listening to John March share that with us last week, I was sitting down the front here uh, in the 6.30 uh, here with you, and I felt God say um, to sing a song. And some of you were here and some of you weren't. Um, I then had a decision to make. Uh, do I sing this song? I'm like, I don't really want to sing this song. This is Love Divine or Love's Excelling. It's Charles Weatherly. I like that song. I'd probably just got it going. You know when you get a song stuck? This is my dialogue with God, right? I'm just like, it's probably just a song uh, that I can't get out of my head. Um, And I kept feeling God give it back to me. Sing this song. So then I've got a decision to make, haven't I? I'm like, okay, even if it is God saying it, maybe it's for me. I could just keep, I I think I just, I love that song. Thanks, God. Um, And it just keeps coming back to me. So I'm like, okay, all right, I'll, I'll do, okay, I'll say it. I'm sitting next to Adam Mitchell Baker, so he was leading a meeting, uh, and he was next to me. So I nudged him and went, I, I, don't, I think God wants me to sing a song, but, you know. So I'm just, I'll give that to you. So he's like, oh, right, okay, yeah, you should definitely do that. Yeah, that's brilliant. I'm like, well, you know, you've got to weigh it now, <laughs> because you might, you might weigh it and go, no, I think that's you looking for the limelight. That's not, you know. So, and he says... We all know it's not you looking for the limelight. This isn't, this isn't going to serve you well. So if you do it, it's out of obedience. So uh, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. So I sung uh, Love Divine Loves All Selling, uh, Excelling, and you thankfully sung with it. Um, that was very kind of you. Um, I, that, I just wanted to say to you, I was terrified. I was way out of my comfort zone. I, and some, the guys who lead us in worship brilliantly every week, I thought, to them, that probably sounds really normal, doesn't it? Well, they just get up and lead us singing. What's the big deal? 
But from my perspective, that was pretty terrifying. And uh, I guess I just wanted to say as well, whenever we give words of encouragement or prophetic words, whenever you share something with someone, whenever you say, could I pray for you about that, um, it takes a bit of bravery, doesn't it? it doesn't, it's, you've got to choose to join with God in this story or you're not going to see great stuff happen. You're going to live a really ordinary life unless you're willing to be brave and step out. And, and, and I need to do that too. I'm learning that. And I felt God was teaching me that last week. And we did see great stuff happen. Someone came and asked to, me to pray for them and said, I've been really encouraged. I want to be the kind of leader that would be willing to look stupid uh, on a microphone if they sense God saying something. I prayed for that person. Somebody else stuck their hand up. And, and I thought, I think that's for them, and it's spoken to them. Um, and somebody uh, else actually led us, didn't they, in another song. Alex stood up, and he led us in another song. Maybe it opens that. And there's probably lots of other things that happen when we share words or when we step out. We don't always know all of them. Okay, so basically what I'm going to do with this talk, uh, first of all, I'm going to talk through the passage. We'll go through it slowly. It'll be on the screen, and you can follow it too. And I'll pull things out of that passage as we're going. And then when we get to the end of it, we're going to look at a bit of a theme that comes out of it um, that we can apply to our life. So that's where we're going. Right. So you probably, that might be too small for some of you to read. So sorry about that. But we'll, um, I'll read it as well. So sometime later, the brook had dried up. Remember, he's in the Cherith Ravine, which is this place where there's a tiny little uh, stream. And he's just been getting water from that. He's been fed by ravens. And just so you know, like a raven is uh, one of the smallest members of the raptor family. In other words, like birds of prey. So it eats carrion. This has not been fine cuts of meat that he has been surviving on. He's been surviving on bits of lizard and rat and whatever else this raven would bring to him. So he's been, that's where he's been, in a place of proper hardship. Um, it dried up because there had been no rain uh, in the land because Elijah had prophesied that to be the case. He'd said there's not going to be any rain until his word. Then the word of the Lord came to him. So again, I'm just going to keep stopping as we go through this, right? The word of the Lord comes to him. So we don't know how exactly that happens. This happens in different ways in the Bible, and it happens in different ways for us, doesn't it? We hear God's voice in different ways and different times. So we don't know if he was lying and suddenly had a bit of a revelation, and he knew what he should do. We don't know whether he just thought it was the sensible next step, We don't know whether he heard an audible voice or if he had an angelic visitation. We don't really know, but what we know is the word of the Lord came to him and said, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've instructed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath and there, when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her uh, and asked. Now, wait a sec, before we get into what he asked, He's going to Zarephath. The word of the Lord's come to him and says, go to Zarephath. Now, he would have known, although most of us wouldn't today, that 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 means place of refining. That's what Zarephath means, a place of refining. So he gets the word, go to Zarephath, which is an actual place, and it's outside King Ahab's realm. It's outside that kingdom, so it's a Gentile place. So he says, go outside of this region to a place of refining. In other words, he would have known he's going to get sharpened and refined in this season, whatever's coming up next. He also would have known that this is embarrassing. It's embarrassing for him to go as a a Jewish, respected, prophetic leader. He would have known 
this is a, an embarrassing thing to go and stay with a widow who is a Gentile. That's, and also to get her to provide for him. That would be a little bit embarrassing, particularly as it's him who's called the drought. That would mean she would be uh, in hardship. So this is a, a bit of a difficult situation for him. Um, he called to her and he asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he also called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. So, lots of things in the Old Testament signpost towards Jesus. This is one of them. This is a signpost towards Jesus. Lots of people thought, you know when Jesus says, who who do people say I am? And Elijah was one of the people that they thought he might have been. They're like, we don't really know who you are, but you're kind of like Elijah. And the life of Elijah often signposts towards the person of Jesus. Um, Do you remember that story where Jesus is outside of town and he's at a well and he's uh, looking for water? He's thirsty, it's the middle of the day, and there's a woman there at the well and he says, give me a drink. She gives him a drink and he says, I'll give you water, I mean you'll never thirst again. So Jesus does that. Elijah's kind of doing that. He's like, bring me a a bit of water, says to this woman. Um, She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So she's in full-on hardship. She knows this is probably my last meal. You have just asked me to give it to you. That's a crazy scenario for him to have put her in. But notice what she says, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Do you remember last week we heard uh, the, the message that Elijah gives to Ahab and he says this same phrase, as surely as the Lord God lives, whom I serve, there will be no rain in the land until my word. So we know whether this is the writer drawing it out for us or whether this woman actually said the words like this, but she's saying, even though I'm a Gentile, as surely as your God lives, uh, let it be so. I will do it. And there isn't anything that I, that I don't have enough to give you, but I will give you what I have. Elijah says, don't be afraid. So that's relevant too because she's clocked he's a holy man. She's figured out this guy's legit. He's actually like, I can sense this. He's really holy. He's asked me to do something and I've said, as surely as your God does live, I'm being honest with you. Um, he says, don't be afraid. And that is basically always what God or angels or any, some sort of physical enactment of God, uh, that's always the response. When people hit the deck with their appropriate reaction to an overwhelmment and awe and fear and they hit the, the floor, angels and whoever else, they say, don't be afraid. Because in spite of God's greatness, he is good. And we need reminding of that. And so she is aware that he is holy. And he says to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. 
For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word, the Lord, uh, word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Then it carries on. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? So here I want us to notice her reaction. So this is, a, I think, a really appropriate reaction. It's an understandable reaction. She, has, she thought she was going to die. She was about to cook her last meal. Then this holy man of God turns up and says, your food and provision will not run out if you give something to me. She's given it to him, and sure enough, it's not run out. So now her schema, her plan, her, under, her script for her life has changed. She's like, oh, we're not going to die. I know what's going to happen now. And with this guy in the, in the house, it, things seem to be good. It's all going to be fine. We're going to get provided for. But then her son dies. Well, she never saw that coming. She's like, that doesn't make any sense. This, God, this Yahweh seems to be providing, and it's good with him. And this guy's here. Why has my son died? It doesn't make any sense. It's just rip up the script time. Sometimes that happens to us, doesn't it? We've got a a fixed idea of what we think is happening. And then something just takes it out like a train from the side and we don't know what's going on. Um, And her reaction is to assume that it is God's judgment on her for her sinfulness. That's also a really common reaction when something bad happens. I don't know whether you've ever felt like that. Or maybe you've chatted to someone who's kind of thought, I don't know whether God's trying to punish me for something. And it doesn't matter how much... The Bible doesn't say that's what God does. He doesn't, he is a judge and, and he, he is just and in the end he will make everything right. But he doesn't want to seek out his vengeance on you for little things that have happened. But despite that, lots of us still end up feeling that maybe that is what happens. And I, I think that's what's happening for the woman here. Elijah has been in this place of refining now. He has grown in his leadership, in his character. So notice his reaction. He doesn't correct her. He understands why she's reacted like that. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord, My God, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow that I'm staying with? by causing her son to die. And then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. Okay, let me pause again there, because I just want to recognize that that's an odd thing to do. (laughs) That is an unusual event. A boy has died, he's carried him upstairs, he's laying on top of him three times, and he's breathed life into him, basically. He said, life return." So the reason why it's worth noticing that it's odd is because Elijah wasn't a prophet that had a ministry to lie on dead people. And he didn't go around saying, you should all do this as well. He was obedient. He sensed that was the thing to do then. He was a living and extraordinary life. So he did that. And if you'd have asked him, why did he lie on top of that boy? He probably couldn't have gone, well, here's the reason. He'd just done it. 
out of obedience. It seemed like the right thing to do to him and the spirit at the time. Um, and the, the boy's life does return to him. So let's find out what happens. Um, the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. And he gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Again, this is another indicator, it's another signpost pointing towards Jesus Christ. Do you remember the time when Jesus raised a widow's son? Uh, in Luke 7, we see this, verse 12 in Luke 7. As he, this is talking about Jesus. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of a mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier that they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. So these guys knew, these, these Jewish mourners knew this story well. When they say a great prophet has appeared among us, they're referring to Elijah. They know this story. They're like, wait a second, this is like, some of them, the pennies are dropping. Some of them are going, I think this Jesus guy is maybe like the uh, Messiah. I don't, it's a little bit of a coincidence. There's a lot of stories that are ringing bells. Do you remember that one with Elijah and the, the widow? Anyway. So, that's our story, and out of it, we're now going to look at what I think is the gift from this story and what we're going to talk about, uh, which is faith. Faith to see healing happen, faith to see brokenness restored, faith to see all sorts of things happen. Faith is the product of obedience through hardship. We like to think faith is a gift that is dropped in your lap. And it's not really the case. It is a gift. It does grow. But it also is the product of obedience through hardship. And this is the story of Elijah. This is his story. It's his obedience. As he is obedience in the hardship, faith increases, miraculous provision comes. That basically happens uh, throughout all the stories we've looked at and throughout others in the Bible too. So Elijah in the hardship of the Cherith Valley, being fed by ravens, not having anything, one, just on his own, in his own wanderings, have I got it all wrong? Did I say everything wrong to Ahab? Um, throughout that hardship, his obedience to then continue and go to Zarephath, go to the woman, uh, the widow. Whether it's uh, the widows giving Elijah food and drink. He is, she, she is in hardship. He says, give me something to eat and drink, and she's obedient even though it doesn't make sense. She does that too. The widow's son dies, and she is obedient when he says, give me your son. Don't underestimate how much she didn't want to let go of her dead son. A mum doesn't want to let go of a dead... If you, you can't really imagine it. She would want to cling on to it, that boy. So it would have been hard for her to go, okay, here, is, here he is. Take him upstairs. 
but she was obedient. And faith grew in that obedience and in that hardship, a miraculous provision came. And as we are obedient and we trust God in the hardship, we are refined. Our faith is refined. It is reworked. It's like the pressure of heavy rock on a diamond that makes it beautiful. And it's like the heat and the temperature underneath gold that makes it uh, melt and it refines it and makes it purer than it was before. It is an unpleasant process. It's a difficult process, but it is the process through which faith is grown. And the Bible tells us time and time again, it's going to be difficult. In Philippians 1.29, we know that we're going to have to suffer. If we really want to grow in our faith, we'll have to suffer. Hebrews 12 says there's a direct correlation between suffering, hardship, and discipline in that process, therefore obedience, and out of which faith is grown. In James 1 verse 3, it says you're going to get tested. It's going to come under pressure and testing your faith. But that's what's going to make it grow. That's what will prove it. It's going to be difficult, but that's how it will happen. So what is this faith? The next one uh, is a, a great verse in Hebrews 11. The writer of the Hebrews says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what, what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. This is what people like Elijah were commended for. So it's good to look at him as an example and others. It's faith and confidence in what we can't see yet. Assurance of what is not yet possible. We can't imagine it yet. Even even stuff that you can't imagine, the Bible says, not a problem. Jesus is able to do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. So your lack of imagination is not a problem to God. Faith is not given to us for overcoming obstacles. Faith is given to us so we experience them in their fullness. So we go through the hardship. So we go through the difficulty and the pain in its fullness. That's what faith is for. And as we do that, we're given authority. We receive authority to call things into life, to see the miraculous happen, to see miracles and healing in physical, emotional, psychological, relational, spiritual ways. I wonder what it is in your life that would be slightly out of reach, what's beyond your imagining that you would love to see? Is there something you'd love to see healing in? Might be physical, might be relational, spiritual, all those other things. Could be, could be something uh, in, in a family relationship. It could be something at work or at your university on your course. What is it that you'd love to see breakthrough in? Because God wants to bring it. Um, here are some things that we can chat through about healing. These are just four things that I just think are true. God doesn't always heal people. Um, I've never raised anyone from the dead, although I've had a couple of fairly tentative goes at it. Um, unsuccessful. Um, and, uh, but I did, a few years ago, go on a uh, escape and pray. Uh, some of you have been on that, I know. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's when you go to another country, it's Fusion that I, I work for, we put this thing on, and you can get a, a plane ticket, but you don't know where you're going, right? So you get to the airport, you don't know where you're going, and then you go for three days, and you just go with no money and whatever, and you just go and bless the town that you get sent to. So I took Adam Mitchell Baker when he was a student, and we went to Stuttgart, and there was various challenges. One of these challenges was try and pray with a vice-chancellor of the university. 
So we end up chatting to this vice chancellor of, a, of a, one of the universities, and he was this comedy German. I mean, it wasn't comedy that was German. It was in Germany. But he, ima- just for, the, for your imagination, imagine Einstein. That's just what he looked like. He had wiry white hair sticking out everywhere. He was a big smile. Um, so this vice chancellor says, uh, it is wonderful. Four young men from Her Majesty's country have come to visit me. So <laughs> we're like, yeah. Um, so, uh, sorry about the accent. I'm told it's a bit Russian. I apologize. So, um, we, we said we, at the end of this chat, I'd love to pray for you for anything. Is there anything particular that I can pray for? And he says, yes, I have tinnitus in my left ear. Oh, great. That's really specific. Um, okay. So, I said, when I pray for someone, I usually put my hand on that thing that I'm praying for. Can I put my hand on your left ear? And he says, yes. So, Okay. <laughs> Germans don't waste their words. So um, put my hand on his ear and I say, um, Lord, please would you heal this man's tinnitus in his left ear? Uh, in the name of Jesus, amen. So I'm like, any better? And he's like, yes, it is 10% better. So <laughs> that is, I think, the German reply. That is, that is the quintessential. So anyway, knowing as I did how these things work in great testimonies, I thought I'll have another go. So I said, can I pray again? So I put my hand on his ear again with his permission and pr- prayed again, same prayer. I said, any better? And he said, no, it remains at 10%. <laughs> so, so that's uh, probably, in terms of me praying for healing, that's about as much direct success as I've seen. Uh, we know that God doesn't always heal. Um, there isn't one method. Uh, we see in, G- in the life of Jesus a whole range of stuff that's going on with people praying for healing, um, uh, whether it's spitting in the mud, rubbing it in people's eyes, telling someone to jump in a pool, whether it's being lowered through the roof of a house, whether it's somebody in the Old Testament, Nahum, being told to jump in a mucky stream. Um, no matter what it is, it doesn't seem that there's one method of praying for healing. The p- important thing is giving it a go. Um, when I was nine, uh, I was at Spring Harvest with my family, and I was in the kids' youth, you know, kids probably at that stage, and uh, they were talking about prayer for healing. And I had some warts on my hand, and I really hated them. I, I didn't have loads, but I had a few, and I really didn't like them. I really wanted them healed. So uh, I went up to my youth group leader, and I said, oh, I th- well, can you pray for my warts? Honestly, no, not expecting anything. Um, and the guy put his hands on my hands, and he said, God, please heal this boy's warts. And I looked down, and they had honestly just totally gone, just 100% gone. That is the only experience in my life when I've personally experienced instant healing kind of thing. But as a nine-year-old boy, that was pretty uh, full-on. And so sometimes the laying on of hands is a good way to do healing. Um, Also, we know that people who are healed still die. So this boy that came back to life in Elijah's story and the boy who Jesus brought back to life at his funeral and Lazarus, who came out of the tomb that was Jesus' mate, they all died, didn't they? So what we know is healing and even resurrection from the dead is not the end game. That's not what we're hoping for. It's a little sign of God's goodness. It's a sign of something of heaven here now on earth. But it isn't everything, but it is good. We also know that nothing is impossible 
with God. A mate of mine, Carl, um, he went to India a few years ago, and uh, he said um, he was preaching in this group, and people came from a lot of villages and things like this, and it was a very poor area. He's preaching. It's been translated into a few different languages. There's a lot of noise going on all at once, and he said it was pretty bonkers. And uh, when he was preaching, um, he, he was saying, I could tell there were people who definitely wanted healing. But this is an area that's poor. They didn't have great health care. Uh, lots of them came hoping for healing, which maybe is relevant. So anyway, he knew that they would do healing at the end. But he didn't have a lot of experience of that. And so he prayed for various people, and some people were healed of various different things. And then he saw this one guy comes over. And he's like... The, Carl is from Essex, right? So I'll do the accent again. So he's like, this, this guy comes over and he goes, now this guy only has one eye. right? So I thought, I know what this guy wants prayer for. I can suss this one out. Uh, check it anyway. The eye, yeah, got it. So, so he prays for healing for this guy. And he says, I just went, dear Jesus, please give this guy another eye because I think he'd really like it. So that was his prayer. And then he said he'd never seen anything like it before or since. Well, first of all, I, had to, I checked with him. How did you, what do you mean he only had one? I don't really understand. Because I was thinking Cyclops for a minute, right? But anyway, he, he said, well, I don't really know what to say. He only had one eye and the other one was just a hole. So anyway, there was nothing there. And he, so he says, as I was praying, I saw... Uh, a new eye just circled into being. It circled, the perfect eye just sort of circled into being until there were two perfectly functioning eyes. Obviously, at this point, the guy hops it. He's like happy as Larry, and off he runs around, around the church. He can see he's got two eyes. Incredible. But the fact is, it's difficult. We see all, sometimes we see amazing healing. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's 10% better. Sometimes it's a little bit worse. Who knows? The point is, it's difficult to do because it takes courage and bravery. Like when I stood up uh, and sung that song, whatever it is, it takes bravery to offer to do something like that. You're not always sure, are you? When you get a sense that God wants you to pray for something, you're not really sure sometimes. The question is, are we willing to risk it? Are you willing to spend some of your reputation and some of your pride on maybe something extraordinary, and you might look a bit stupid. Are you willing to do that? So, where do you want life to return? In what area of your life would you love the Lord God to say, let life return? At at his word, life can return anywhere. What is it? For you, is it something that's spiritual, emotional, psychological, physical, or relational, or something else? What is it that you would love God to touch in your life and let life return? What is dead? Is there something that's dormant, that you feel is laying dormant within you? Maybe a a word that was spoken over you, something that somebody said to you, but it's just not really anything happened, and you want it to come to life. Maybe it's something that just hasn't changed for years. In the 345 service, uh, we 
prayed for healing. And, and, and we're like, I mean, you guys are on fire. We're, we're pretty dry at the 345 sometimes, and we need a bit of encouragement, you know. Um, anyway, we had a bunch of prophetic words in our earlier service, um, and, and we had a real go at praying for healing as well. And we saw healing. Someone had a, had a big migraine, which they were experiencing, which instantly went. Other people received prayer over stuff uh, that I know saw breakthrough, but it wasn't an instant physical healing type of a thing. And there's other people that were having prayer, and I haven't asked for everyone's thing, but there was a lot of people being prayed for. Susie Finn, who some of you all know, uh, she's a mum at the 345 and um, a friend of ours. She shared a picture, which I think is good for us here as well. And that is, she had a rose in her garden. And they've had this row for ages. It flowered for a few years, and then it stopped flowering. And, she, and Dan and Susie, I know these guys well. This is true of how they are in every area. Dan wanted to get rid. He wanted to get rid of this rose. It's not flowering. It's a bit dead. Let's get rid of it. And Susie, true to character, going, let's just give it one more year. It might come back. They'd had this dialogue for a while. Um, Susie said, to be fair, for six years, it's just looked like a stick. It's, not, it's just nothing. It's just a stick. They've moved it to different parts of the garden a couple of times to try and give it the better nutrients and the like. Nothing. Anyway, it's just stayed there. Until this year, where out of nowhere, it's just bloomed. And there's a great rose coming off it. There you go. There it is. Um, and so she was saying... She felt for G2 as a whole, which is why I wanted to share it with you as well. Um, there is, for some people, stuff which is lying there for a while, and people are feeling, I'm almost giving up, and they need God to say, let life return. Let life return into that area. Whether that's healing or hope. Would you stand with me, and um, if the band could come up, that'd be great. We're going to... We're going to pray. I'll be. Um, we welcome new words as well. If you would like have a prophetic sense and something you'd like to share, uh, and we're going to say these uh, words together. I'll say the words that are in the normal font, and if you can say the ones that are in the italic, that would be great. And uh, band, if you if you feel you want to start to play, that would be great as well. And so, God, I pray that you would use this time together uh, to bring healing. Would your healing spirit be amongst and work, working freely amongst us? We welcome you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Okay, let's say these words. Over our families, let life return. Over our friendships, let life return. In our work, let life return. In our leisure, in our marriages, in our church, in our sleeping, in our dreaming, in our faith, through our hardship, return. God, we're expectant for you to move and we're willing to move with you and to take a risk. We know that you move a mile when we come an inch towards you. So I pray blessing on these people here today. 
Bless us as we continue to be brave, to be courageous. Maybe to ask for healing for something that we haven't had hope for for a while. And maybe to be brave in offering to pray for someone as well. So let's start to worship and then uh, the guys will pick up as well. There may be other words to share. But let's be alert to what God is doing in our midst.